Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 6, 2022, including Ubisoft is starting to flirt with Game Pass, a few notable people have left Xbox's biggest studios, Goldeneye may have been being re-released at one point in time, and more. Welcome to the first episode of 2022. What a way to kick off the year. My allergies are absolutely killing me, which is uh, possibly affecting my voice. The only reason I bring this up. So apologies if I sound a little nasally today, but hey, shut up. So like I said, it's a new year. 2022, last time we spoke, it was the day before New Year's Eve. That was a long time ago. Different games. Remember Halo Infinite? So quaint. 2022 is going to be much bigger, guys. I'm talking Starfield. I'm talking we're going we're gonna to make everything 22. So if you liked something last year, boom, it's dead. Now we're going to be doubling down on absolutely everything. That means twice the amount of episodes every week. Twice the amount of YouTube output for me. Twice the amount of Xbox games. That's right. The Xbox Series X is going from 12 teraflops to 24 teraflops. That is the 2022 promise, and I'm making it here first. I talked to my buddy Phil Spencer. He assured me that all this news is absolutely accurate. They just haven't gotten around to announcing it themselves. But guys, we're in for a really, a really big, a really great treat this year from Xbox. So let me uh, kick off this week's episode by saying, speaking of plugging and, and self-promoting and being special, you guys, I have a new video out and uh i try not to talk too much about my other non-xbox on related things on the show so i'll keep it brief but you know aside from xbox on i do have my other youtube channel lightning extreme which is also my twitch name uh i do have a new video up it is uh, you know pretty goofy shit it's nothing nothing too serious we don't get into it knee deep like we do with the news here on the show but if you're looking for a an entertaining 12 minutes of your life be sure to check out my youtube page lightning extreme i got a new video all about vr chat and the world the wacky weeby people of vr chat reacting to spider-man no way home it was a lot of fun to make and uh, i appreciate you guys who've already checked it out but uh, if you haven't you know, there's a link to it here in the YouTube video. There's a link to it on my Twitter. There's a you could just go to my YouTube and find it. But uh, speaking of YouTube, guys, I don't have too much weird shit, weird housekeeping shit to get into. No one died this week. There's no like really obscure little news bit we gotta talk about before we jump into real news. So we're kind of doing a little bit of an old school Xbox on where I'm just gonna get straight into the community comments, and then from there we're gonna jump into the proper news. So. Yeah, that, for last week you may have been like, oh, Jesse had a co-host. Yes, my brother Cronky was on, but this week it's back to just me. I do appreciate those who reached out and said they enjoyed last week's episode with having a co-host. Like I've said in the past, I would like to do that on a you know an occasional kind of little, little special occasion kind of basis. Um, so if you're ever interested in being on the show, don't hesitate to reach out. As long as you're someone who's pretty normal and you've commented on the show before and I have a good read on you being, you know, not a psychopath, there's a decent chance, you know, we, we could do a show together. So it's it's let me know if that's ever something you want to do. But speaking of comments, speaking of you guys, the audience that makes this show happen each and every week by leaving letting your voices be heard, 
commenting in with your two cents about the latest news happening in the world of Xbox, or sometimes you just want to be fucking insane and talk about clams and oysters and and baby poop or whatever the hell it is you talk about. You know, I don't even know what I'm saying. But we get all over from YouTube.com. So if you ever want to leave a comment, YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode, you leave a comment. You can say something really sweet to me like, Jesse, even though your allergies are destroying you right now, you still sound like the same piece of shit to me. And I'd be like, that's so sweet of you. I, now I know I can I can have an allergy attack and, and record a podcast and I don't have to worry about nothing. Or you can leave a totally mean comment like saying, Jesse, your allergies are doing the world a favor and trying to kill you. So why don't you make like an allergy and allergic yourself to death because no one wants you here. And I'll be like, damn, truth hurts. So our first comment of the year, 2022, comes from none other than Mr. E.A.'s King 117, who spells his name A.E.'s King. And the comment reads, Yesterday was 2021, but today is 2022. That was very true the day you wrote that comment, but now it is a few days old and there's very dated information. E.A.'s King, please be sure to update us with a more accurate comment next time. If you're going to talk about the date, make sure it's the, it's the actual date. You freaking, uh, what is it? What, what did he call the people who made the, the, the Mayan calendars and the the world was supposed to end in 2012. Those guys were dumbasses. And now you're making yourself look like a Mayan because it's not 2020. It's not the day after 2021 anymore. It's like six days after 2021. Okay. Now, a couple of you guys had some nice feedback from last week. As I mentioned, just want to shout out some, some nice comments. Dead Captain James says, great episode. Really enjoyed listening to the banter between you and your brother. Thank you, Dead Captain James. I do appreciate all the support there. That was a weird episode game that put together was half sure we were going to have to scrap it and re-record because of technical difficulties, but it actually went pretty smoothly, knock on wood, as I record another episode right now. Tech Daddy has the first debate of 2022, so anyone who's listened to this show for a, for a period of time knows we often get into very intellectual, high-level conversations, debates, if you will, about the culinary world. Well, Tech Daddy wants to propose a new argument to be had, a new a new thought to be uh, pondered, and he says, what is your favorite barbecue sauce? Do you like spicy or sweet? Well, Tech Daddy, I if we're just talking spicy or sweet, which is scratching the surface on barbecue sauce, I'm going to say I lean a little bit more on the sweet side, but I like both. I, I like a spicy barbecue sauce, and I like a sweet, bar, sweet barbecue sauce. I will say, though, you know, the world of barbecue sauce has a lot more to do with, as I'm sure you're familiar, you know, do you like it more like the Carolina style or the Alabama style or Texas style? Do you do you want sweet? Do you want vinegary? Do you want mustardy? These are kind of the profiles of barbecue sauce that often get debated to greater extent. And I got to be honest, as a guy who is from the South, as a guy who is from Georgia, you know, a proud Southern state, a, a state that it should be you know, decently, I don't think it's the barbecue state by, you know, it's no Tennessee, it's no Carolinas, but, you know, Georgia's, there are far worse places in the country to get barbecue, so I should have a pretty decent grasp and read on barbecue, but I'll be really honest with you, I don't. I really enjoy barbecue, but I don't think I, I think I completely lack the nuance and sophistication to really, you know, be a barbecue savant. I enjoy, don't get me wrong, I enjoy barbecue, I enjoy the beef brisket, I enjoy barbecue ribs, I like a smoked chicken, but uh, I just, when it comes to barbecue sauce, 
I don't get as adventurous as I should. I mean, if it's a spicy sauce, that's good. If it's a sweet spot sauce, that's good. If it's too vinegary, I'm not so into that, to be quite honest with you. I don't know. I usually just gravitate. Like, if you go to a barbecue establishment, and it's one of those places where, like, oh, yeah, we got, like, seven sauces you can fuck with. I usually just gravitate towards, like, the default house barbecue sauce, which is usually uh, on the sweeter, sugarier side anyway. So I will say I'm a bit of a layman when it comes to the barbecue flavor. Now... I know a handful of you who listen to the show are pretty uh, avid pit masters or pretty big barbecue fans. I follow a handful of you on Twitter. Uh, that's right. I'm calling you out, Mr. Doomhammer. Um, I know there are handfuls. Of, there, there are people within this audience who are barbecue savants. And I'm calling upon you as well as everyone else who, who has something to add. Where do you fall on the barbecue sauce debate? School us, enlighten us. What is proper barbecue sauce? What should we be eating? Have I offended you by saying I enjoy sweet barbecue sauce? Does that mean I am essentially uh, A1 steak saucing my barbecue by using sweet barbecue sauce? Please let us know. I would love to open the floor to debate. And I would really love it if this ends with, you know, multiple people getting pissed off at each other and bullying one another and really just taking the piss out of, you know, our enjoyment and our lighthearted banter because 2022 is a bigger and better year than last year. And I really want this to be the year where we go from being friends to being frenemies. So if we if we can get some people cursing and, and, and threatening to hurt one another, I think then we've really made something of this show. So Tech Daddy, thank you for beginning and initiating the conversation. We will now push that out to the world and see what comes of it. Hopefully we get something good. Now, a couple of you guys have some game of the year cleanup comments to, to throw in here. Arctic Chief had to take to Twitter to be like, yo, Jesse, totally forgot to tell you about my games of the year. And I said, Arctic Chief, l- lucky for you, everyone in the everyone who listens to Xbox on would gladly stop everything to hear your top five because you are one of the OG commenters. You are one of the most beloved commenters. And honestly, your profile picture is a guy with a sword. And I really don't want, I don't, I don't feel like being slashed to death. So please take the floor. And Arctic Chief says, well, my top five games uh, that I played in 2021 are number five, Smash Brothers Ultimate. Wrong answer. Number four, Destiny 2. Good pick. Number three, Ocarina of Time online mod. I'll allow it. Number two, Halo Infinite. Cool. Number one, Fortnite. Teach your zone. All right. You also said, with Ocarina of Time, though, I did play the whole game online with three friends. We had Cloud, Hatsune Miku, Mega Man Volnut, and I was Master Chief. So that saves it because I was going to say Ocarina of Time, eh. You know, I, I get it. It's a, it's an institution. It really is an important game. It has heavy, heavy influence on gaming to this day, as we know. So not to knock Ocarina of Time, but it's a, it's a little bit of like an old, overrated, tired pick. But then again, I just picked Skyrim as my number two game of the year. So who am I to say anything? But you really save it with the fact that you weren't just playing classic Ocarina of Time. You were playing an online mod where you can play with other friends and do online multiplayer and play as different characters so the idea of going through that goru uh quest or or a dungeon as hot as hatsune miku uh kind of alleviates all the vain bulging that comes with someone being like ocarina i time is my fucking jam so arctic chief solid list arctic chief favorite commenter of the day arctic chief we bow to you. We praise you, and we look forward to your response as to what proper barbecue sauce tastes like. So thank you for writing in. And then speaking of people who left out some Game of the Year cleanup talk, Mavsman writes in. You guys know Mavsman. He's the guy who plays Call of Duty Warzone and has emo hair and walks around big dick energy, drives a car, drives a pickup truck that's lifted seven feet, has 16 wheels on it, even though... 
He has a commuter office job, and he's been known to eat 4,000 calories of Taco Bell daily and still maintain less than 2% body fat. Mavs man, what do you got for us? He says, a a week late, but I'm still giving my top five of 2021 because one omission from everyone's list. Number five, Gun Raiders. It's free, fun, what else needs to be said? Hey, I agreed last week. Must play VR game. Number four, Battlefield 2042. Granted, I only played the hazard mode, but it's fun. Can be frustrating at times, but fun nonetheless. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Once you get past the non-MCU character likeness at first, this game is a lot of fun. The banter is like the movies and some fun gameplay. I agree, but I'm so annoyed at this game by the amount of times they use the word flark, which is obviously like an in-universe substitute for fuck. And it is like the once or twice, I'm like, whatever. But my one, my biggest gripe with Guardians of the Galaxy, and this means it's a good game if this is my gripe, my big gripe with the game is that, like, every other sentence, some character's like, ah, oh, you gotta be flarking kidding me. And I'm like, guys, it's not it's not cute, it's not funny, stop saying that word. Uh, but otherwise, yes, a very good game. Halo Infinite is your number two pick. You said it's Halo, it's back, it's good, enough said. And number one, you said, I know I'm gonna take some heat for this one, but Call of Duty Warzone, let me say first, I only play Rebirth Island, which I think is the Black Ops Cold War content, I'm not sure. Uh, not the regular big map. So Rebirth is a good... Uh, is, sorry, Rebirth Island with a group of friends is simply a good time. I've sunk a considerable amount of time into it with around 415 wins. Holy fuck, that's impressive. I know it's not for everyone, and it has its flaws, not to mention there's it's this cool thing to hate on, but I thoroughly enjoy it. And you know what, Mavs man? You touched on something I, I, I do want to acknowledge. It's this cool thing to hate on. You're right. I'm absolutely at fault for, you know, being that guy. I'll, I'll, I'll riff on... Breath of the Wild or Ocarina of Time like I just did or people who all like the 200 million gamers who all claim they had N64 in the 90s even though they only sold like 20 million N64s so clearly there's millions and millions of people lying on the in the world about the N64 and how great it was back in the 90s when they were growing up and you know there's plenty of things I riff on and I make fun of people I'm like oh it's so overrated and this and that I got I gotta be honest with you you're right I can be that obnoxious guy, and I think I think Warzone is one of those things for sure, where I'm that annoying guy who's like, I've, I have played so little Warzone, I really can't render a proper verdict on it, yet I have no problem getting on this podcast every week and be like, Warzone is lame, you are lame, everyone who doesn't play Sonic Unleashed in, in 4K on the Xbox Series X at 60 FPS is simply lame, and, and you're right. So I'm glad that you have fun with that. I'm glad that it's a good game for you and your buddies to play with. 415 wins is nothing to sneeze at. So good for you. I'm, I'm glad we got some more representation by you throwing Warzone into the mix since clearly no one else mentioned that last week. Of course, no one mentioned it last week because we have a podcast listenership of very high taste, high class uh, gamers, of course. But nonetheless, Mavs man, I'm happy to see you repping something that even if you know hardcore gamers maybe aren't so into it, you know you're into it and you enjoy it. And I, I, I respect and appreciate that reverence as someone who is a Sonic the Hedgehog fanboy borderline furry because I fucking play a Sonic mobile game every goddamn day to get my coins and it's disgusting and I should probably see a doctor about it, but I do it. Hey, here we are. Mr. Miggy is writing in next and Mr. Miggy says, so this mysterious Cronky has been your brother all along. I should have known my experience with Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, by the way, the definitive edition, has been similar to my experience with Cyberpunk. Extremely minor glitches that haven't really affected the gameplay. Sorry, I've had more issues with games like Call of Duty. Also, I'm sad because I didn't add Spider-Man Miles Morales to my list of games last week. I had purposely... 
I had to purposely restrain myself from playing it too much because I don't want it to end already. Well, Mr. Miggy, if you were just playing through Spider-Man Miles Morales for the first time on either PS4 or PS5, I must say, God God bless you, because that, that game is incredible, and I totally understand. I'll be honest, I think I probably like Miles Morales more than Spider-Man 2018, because... Although it's lighter on content, lighter on content and shorter, I think every moment of that game is so is so perfectly spent. Like there's not a single second of like downtime or lull or just filler content. It is from start to finish, high quality, top tier gameplay, storytelling, everything. Miles Morales was such a good game. So honestly, don't blame you whatsoever if you're having a hard time finishing the game because you just don't want to and you're trying to savor every morsel of, uh, of, of that game. I, I don't blame you one bit. And you know what? I appreciate it as, you know, not many people have written in about their experience with the new GTA ports so or, re, or remasters rather. But, you know, it's cool to see that, that take because I know there are a lot of people, especially with the example you give Cyberpunk, a lot of people out there are like, guys, I know the game's like completely fucked if you're trying to play it on like a base PS4. But like, you know, if you're playing it on Series X or PS5, it's really not that bad. In fact, it runs pretty well. And I can speak to that a little bit as well because I did play like an hour and a half or so of Cyberpunk before I decided to wait for the next gen update. And my experience was largely the same as well. The game didn't look beautiful. It looked a little rough aesthetically, but I didn't experience any like game breaking bugs or anything like that. It was just a little ugly to look at was all. It didn't look very next gen. But um, I do appreciate that that feedback kind of because sometimes, you know, it's really easy to see. Oh man, the new Grand Theft Auto game is completely broken and everyone runs away with the narrative and just riffs on it. And I know I'm obviously guilty of doing that a little bit here, but I, I should know better because that, that shit's pissed me. I've been on the other side of that as well where I'm like, no guys, you're fucking, no. Because I remember like even this past year uh, when Sonic Colors Ultimate came out, everyone was like, oh, the game's completely fucked. It's completely broken. They need to patch this game to hell and back because it's just unplayable. And I played through the whole thing the minute it came out and was like, guys, Load times are a little long, but otherwise the game looks and runs great. What What is everyone complaining about? So I, I know that. I know that that happens way too often where there's like one minorly inconvenient glitch in a game or something like that. And the whole internet like runs away with it. And it's like, oh, did you hear? Did you hear this game is legitimately broken? Yeah, it's an actual piece of trash. When you boot up the game, it says the name of the director. It shows their home address. It shows a list of all their loved ones and family. So you can threaten to kill them on Twitter. And then it's just a, a pile of trash on fire for seven hours. And, and can you believe they have the audacity to charge $60 for that game? Because I am from New Jersey and I, I do plan on, 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 on threatening these people. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Last of Us Part 2 is not not that bad guys calm down anyway speaking of halo infinite being awesome count scotula ha has a little follow-up and says you and your brother both touched on halo infinite's multiplayer last week and i agree with both of your sentiments all i want to do is write a 14 paragraph essay sharing my complaints but i'm going to be better than that today just want to let everyone know as much as i love the game i've never had a longer wish list of changes and count scotula i think that's fair you know it's like if you're a lifetime a lifelong halo fan like many of us are, it, it's fair. It's because, you know, I, I saw, man, I can't remember who, someone who either is currently at 343 or, no, 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 it was someone of former Bungie fame. I don't remember. Uh, but they were saying, like, the most stressful thing in the world in, in game development is is working on the Halo franchise and being in that phase where you just launch a Halo game and you're like, okay, now what do we do for the next game? And I, I can see it because every Halo game is, is Halo at its core but different enough to where, like, you're always going to 
sever off a group of players and create a new a new faction of fans who prefer a certain style over another. So it's it's never like, oh, Halo 1 was good and then Halo 2 was better and then Halo 3 was better than that and Halo 4 was better than that and Halo 5. It's never that. It's always like Halo 1 is great game and then Halo 2 comes out. It's like, okay, now most people like Halo 2, but there's this group that splintered off and they swear Halo 2 is garbage and Halo 1 was better. And then it's like Halo 4 comes out and it's like, okay, now half the people like Halo 4 and half the people think Halo 4 is dog shit. Then Halo 5 comes out and it's like, okay, people say that Halos 1 through 4 are good Halo, but Halo 5 is dog shit. And it's just this constant thing of like, well, you can't win. And I get that. And I try to be, I try to be fair with that because I know... I, I'm part of the camp that really, really appreciated Halo 5, and so Halo Infinite, deviating from that so greatly and so intentionally, kind of makes it a little hard for me to accept at times, but, you know, the the thing is, at the end of the day, Halo Infinite is objectively a good game, and the fact that you can at least recognize that means at least you have a really awesome game to enjoy. It will get better over time, as I, I know you know, and I'm sure you would say if you were here sitting next to me like Cronky talking in the microphone. But the thing is, when you love something as much as the way a lot of us love Halo, it's easy to see all the imperfections because you just want to see it be the best it can be. You know, we're, most of us are critical of it because we love it. As long as you're not one of those like super toxic, disgusting Halo fans that are like, after Bungie, Halo didn't exist. I'm sorry, but Halo, dude, I used to have this friend in high school. I just wanted to like grind his face against the train like Spider-Man does to Sandman in Spider-Man 3 and just watch him fucking disintegrate because he would always fucking say when Halo 4 came out, when Halo 5 came out, he would always say this. He'd always be like, Halo ended after Halo 3. There is no Halo 4. I'd be like, oh man, so I was playing like when Halo 4 just came out, I remember like telling him all about like what a great game it was, how fun it was, and his response would always be the same. Fuck you. And also, you play PC, not Xbox. So shut the fuck up and go go make a, make friends with a furry on VR chat and then play Team Fortress 2 and pretend that you enjoy your life when really deep down inside you're sad because you spent $1,700 building a really nice PC just to end up playing more Minecraft, you pathetic scumbag. And that's my friend I'm talking about. Okay, next Next up, Canadian Donut Follow-Up. A couple of you guys got some donut comments, as well as some other uh, things that maybe mention donuts somewhere in passing, but have an otherwise unrelated comment. EA's King is getting double double dip in here. He says, Ayo, I'm Canadian. I'm addicted to maple syrup. All joking aside, our donuts are pretty normal with sometimes the limited time donuts, like the birthday cake donut, or the ice cream donut, or the pumpkin spice donut. Now, EA's King, I'm going to give you a little, a little break on this one because being a Canadian all, you probably don't know this because you guys live in your own little bubble where you think you're like the, the center of the universe or something. But here in the United States of America, where we actually are the center of the universe, we also have crazy limited time at donuts. You know, you think you're so special because you got the pumpkin spice donut. We got that too. And we got capitalism. You know, you think you're so, you think you're so hot because during the summer you can get the birthday cake donut. Well, guess what? We got that too. And the Kardashians. So EA's King, today being Canadian didn't make you better. It just made you look weak. Way of the Lao rounds us out with our final comments of the week and says, yo, yo, how's it happening? Great episode with Kronky. He's the yin to your yang. I miss Lethal Migraine. The donut comment was mine. Oh, I was talking about that one from like Nevada or something. You said Apache Apache Donuts in Reduso, Reduso New Mexico. I don't know. Reduso, R-U-I-D-O-S-O. Probably not that hard to say. I'm just being a fucking dumbass. But Apache Donuts will blow all your guys' choices out of the water. Don't believe me? Well, I guess you'll never know unless you come down and check it out. 
What a year with great podcasts, with a with great podcast hosts. Thank you, Adla. I do, I do appreciate that. You've always been very supportive. I've always appreciated having you here. You and your little anime profile picture. You're always welcome here. As long as you as long as you don't say something ridiculous like Super Mario Galaxy is not the best Mario game, you're you'll always be welcome here. But oh wait, you're not even done. You said you continue on. You said, damn, this is what you get when you wake up at 2.30 in the morning on a Friday to post a comment about uh, that's random and out there. I didn't put the last two games on my list because they were older games. I oh, you might remember last week, Wade Lau only listed three games instead of five because he was just trying to be a snowflake. But now he's come back and he said, I want to be normal like the other boys. Well, too goddamn late, Peter Parker. You got bit by the spider and now you're different from every, everyone else. But I'll give you another try because I'm Doctor Strange and I'm about to give you the, the opportunity of a lifetime. So let, let me read your fourth and fifth pick for for your favorite games of 2021 and then you'll fit right in line and and, and no one will know that you any anything other than just a regular guy so your number four pick is monster hunter world iceborne which is of course the big dlc expansion for monster hunter world you said after years i'm finally putting time into games that i could think of and that was when i wanted to accomplish more with them monster hunter wait a wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute wait a while here i go sticking my neck out for you saying we're about to make you normal because you're about to give us your, your fourth and fifth picks because last week you only gave us three out of five picks and you left us hanging you left us wanting more and this week you try to make amends but you only write in with your number four pick. Are you doing this intentionally, Way of the Loud? Do you like to see me be OCD? Do you like to see me suffer? Do you like it when children at the orphanage don't get adopted? What is your problem, Way of the Loud? Because here we are. Last week, we only had three of your five top picks. And now we come to another another week of, of Xbox On. Another year of Xbox On. And now we only have four picks. And this is more offensive than last week. Because now you're intentionally withholding just one pick. And so Way of the Loud... You have an opportunity to make amends. You have an opportunity to right this wrong. I am so forgiving that I'm giving you another chance. But here we go. Next week, you must write in with your number five pick. If you don't write in with your number five pick, I will have, and we'll select someone random from the comments this week, I will have Tech Daddy personally come to your house and take a and take a great value, that's Walmart brand for those who don't know, a great value spatula, plastic of course, we wouldn't want to hurt you with metal, spatula, a plastic spatula from Walmart, great value brand of course, and we will have him spank you exactly the way my mother used to spank me when I was a child. Just below your ass enough to where she can tell herself oh I tried to spank your butt but I missed and hit your legs but low enough to where it really fucking hurts because it's definitely not your booty cheek she's hitting it's your goddamn legs so 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 way of the low if you don't want to get spanked with a Walmart spatula from Tech Daddy you'll do what's right you'll comment in with your fifth favorite game you played in 2021 or else you'll suffer the consequences you'll face the consequences that I just listed above balls in your court and that's gonna do it for all of our comments and shouts this week guys hey remember next week you want to leave a comment don't be shy reply next let's jump into what i've been playing this past week but before i can tell you about that i gotta tell you about real quick what i've been eating now you could we're coming fresh off the holidays what i've been eating oh my god there must be so many great options did, 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 did you did your mama make the seven fishes you are italian perhaps you had the seven the seven fishes for 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 christmas or new year's did you go have amazing chicken wings and, and and totally rad alcoholic beverages and stay up till midnight with all your crazy friends blowing into those little kazoo things that people have no because i work for a living 
So, we're not here to talk about what I ate over the holidays, because in some countries, they don't even have holidays, and that would just be inconsiderate. But what I am here to talk to you about is our Lord and Savior, Boat Rights. Yes, Boat Rights is back, and many of you guys might be thinking, well, what the fuck is Boat Rights? Well, you'd be right to wonder that, because Boat Rights is a very specific restaurant that is at Disney, Walt Disney World's Port Orleans Riverside Resort, their antebellum south, whatever you want to call it. It's probably not a good way to describe it. Whatever, like old south style resort. It is a southern slash New Orleans style restaurant. So I do like the, the, the jambalaya and the gumbo and the shrimp and grits and the cornbread. But they also try to be like southern with the, like I said, the cornbread and the sweet tea and the fried chicken and the barbecue and all that shit. And this is a restaurant... I loved very much. I used to eat at this restaurant, and it was good. And I would put the food in my mouth, and I would chew with a happy face on my face. It was a very good time. But then there's this little thing came around called the COVID-19 pandemic, and it shut down the whole goddamn world, and Walt Disney World went with it. Well, Walt Disney World's been on a quest the past two years to slowly reopen everything across property in the in, in, in the goddamn worst ca- fashion ever i I, I, dude it's taken almost two fucking years to reopen this restaurant but by god we finally did it walt disney world you have reopened one of my all-time favorite table service restaurants it's one of those restaurants it's just tucked away in one of the resorts no one gives a shit about it's one of the restaurants no one gives a shit about but it deserves a, a, a voice it deserves a chance to fight for itself in this conversation of best places to eat at walt disney world so boat rides is back you guys and my girlfriend and i celebrated the new year by going there on new year's day first day of the year first meal of the year boat rights and you know what i was not disappointed one bit they still have the pecan pie tart slash cheesecake thing for dessert and it it changed my life again it was so fucking good why would you mix pecan pie with cheesecake i don't know unless you're a goddamn genius but someone in that kitchen is a genius and they did it and it was amazing and you got that classic disney cornbread that's basically just cornbread cake instead of actual cornbread and it's better off for being that way and they give that cute little butter that's like square shaped with a little dip of honey in it and it's super cute and you go oh my god i'm eating a bee's food right now and it's so good for your soul and then you get you know you get the platter with the brisket and speaking of barbecue sauce and the mac and cheese and everything, it's a good day. It's a good way to be fat. It's a good way to start your year. And I just want to say, Boat Rights is back. I'm back. Everything's right in the world. But speaking of video games, so every Disney resort, as I know you all know, every Disney resort has an arcade, except the new Disney resorts because new Disney fucking sucks. But every Disney resort built before 2019 uh, has an arcade built into it. And why am I telling you this? Because Disney arcades are kind of fucking awesome. They're usually pretty decent size. They usually have a pretty decent selection of modern arcade games. So it's not like, you know, you're not playing fucking Missile Command or anything. You know, you're, you're playing Flappy Birds and shit, but it's a good time. And I, I, every time I, I stop by a Disney resort, whether it's just to walk around and explore or to eat at a restaurant, I always pop into the arcade real quick just to kind of check up on things. Did any of the machines change? Did anything Is anything different in here? I just like to take in that arcade atmosphere. But I walked in after we ate at Boat Rights. We're, at the, we're not at the theme park. We're at the Disney Hotel, one of the Disney hotels. We go into the arcade to check it out, see what's going on. And we noticed there's like a fucking panic happening in this video game arcade. I'm talking kids bouncing off the goddamn walls like it's Chuck E. Cheese. You know, all the Namco Mario Kart game. Kids are falling out of their seats. The Fast and Furious motorcycle game. Kids are falling off the motorcycles. They got Guitar Hero. They got the fucking Nerf Gun Blaster game. They got the Galaga, Pac-Man, all this shit. And I'm saying, I've not seen a Disney arcade this popping since 
uh, Mary Poppins came out in theaters when I was a very young boy, and and so I, I I investigate as you as you should, and it turns out something's going on in this room, and all the machines in the arcade have been switched to free play mode. Now my first instinct was. Oh, like maybe it's some kid's birthday party and they rented it out. And then I'm like, wait, no, that's not like a thing you can do at a Disney hotel. And also like none of these parties were, it was very obvious that like none of these parties were together. None of these kids were playing with one another. They were all on their own vacations with their own families doing their own thing. But for some fucking reason, every arcade machine was just flipped onto free play mode. And so I came in there just to kind of check out the scene, maybe play a round or two of Tron legacy pinball, but nope. Instead, we get like an hour and a half of free arcade time. So I'm just like, fuck it. This is what we're doing. And we played arcade games for like an hour plus for free. And I guess I'm just telling you this to be like, dude, check every arcade you live next to constantly because maybe one time they'll just randomly have the machines on free play mode and it will be fun for you and whoever you're with. So I don't know why I'm even saying that story on the podcast. It's just the most remarkable thing that's happened to me in a while. And I wanted to share with you guys because I'm still kind of like, whoa, that happened. It was kind of like that time I met Shaquille O'Neal, which didn't actually happen. So now I'm lying. But guys, what I've been playing, that's what I've been eating. What I've been playing. Well, I'll be honest with you, I spent most of the past week working on my new YouTube video, so I haven't played too many video games. Still trying to work out a better schedule and balance to where I can consistently put out videos, but also still have free time to play video games, and maybe, God knows, even go to a theme park every now and then. But I spent most of the weekend working on my new video, which I had a lot of fun doing, but in between where I did have time, I've been still... Dude, chipping away on that Black Ops 3 zombie mods. Like, I cannot believe it took me this long. I, I knew this stuff existed, but it just, for some reason, I had, I, I was so hesitant and resistant towards, like, playing Call of Duty on PC. But, man, the Black Ops 3 zombie mod community is something really, really special. These aren't, like, shitty half-assed mod maps. These are, like, some of these, a lot of these, actually, are, like, really intense, full-fledged, zombie maps like some of these feel like wow like this was made by Treyarch for the game like if you didn't know any better these are some really seriously impressive maps and I'm having so much fun just having this seemingly endless catalog of mod maps I can just download and try out and test here and there and there's some seriously good ones so whenever I get the chance I'm just drawn back to my computer download a new map what's this one about what's this one like what's this one like and that's what we've been streaming the past few weeks on on Twitch and it's been a ton of fucking fun uh, in fact, we, we're, we're, we're getting the most viewers we've ever gotten playing this, so clearly something something's working. I'm having a good time. Other people are watching, so maybe they're even having a good time. Otherwise, they're just masochists. But it, this is my shit right now. Aside from that, I have, I've I'm trying to get back into Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I started a few weeks ago, and I fell off a little bit. So I'm trying to get back to it. I definitely want to see it through. This game's good. Coming back to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was really enjoying this game. Why did I stop? So I definitely want to finish this game. I'm about halfway through it, and... I don't have anything else to add other than what I said, you know, a few weeks ago when I started playing it. It's a very, it's a very entertaining game. This, the, the dialogue is really good. The, the writing is excellent. The characters are fun. The way they, they play off of one another. It is, it's like Mavsman was saying it. it. It really is like the movies. Like the characters are written pretty much like the movies where like their, their natural banter and comedic tone is, is really well done. And, uh, gameplay wise, it is completely serviceable as a third person action game very much in the vein of like any Tomb Raider or Uncharted game you've played, you know, in the past 10 years uh, with slightly more interesting combat. But that's not really what you're there for. You're there for the ride. You're there for the, the banter and the storytelling and everything. And it's a it's a good game. And it and it, it tells its own version of the Guardians of the Galaxy story, which I appreciate a lot. I, I, I'm glad that it's not just trying to tell 
roughly the same story we've seen in the movies because these are characters outside of the movies I'm really not familiar with. So it is fun to get a whole different perspective and take and story using these characters as someone who has very little exposure to them. So I really do enjoy this game quite a bit. Um, Other than that, that's really all I've been playing, but I I have had this weird impulse lately where I really want to find a ninja or samurai game to get into. So if you guys could recommend me one, I I tried Shadow Warrior a few years ago and really loved it. I need to get back to that, so maybe that's when I'll play. But I almost impulsively downloaded Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, but I hate Dark Souls games, so I don't know why the fuck I would spend money on that. I'll probably end up hating that game. Part of me kind of wants to download that recently released Ninja Gaiden collection, I enjoy Ninja Gaiden. I suck at Ninja Gaiden, but I enjoy those games. The only one I've ever finished was the DS one, but I've made it pretty far into both one and two on Xbox and Xbox 360. I don't know. And then I, I, I just I, I want basically a game that's like GI Joe Snake Eyes with like all the camp and goofiness and cartooniness and kiddiness, but I want it to be like really high polished, AAA, fun to play, high quality, whatever. So I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm just all over the place. I, I try to get Ghost of Tsushima which is like probably the one PS4 exclusive game that's like a must-play game on PS4 that I haven't played or haven't tried. And the damn game is still 50 fucking dollars. Like, what the hell, man? Like, I, I get it's a good game and it's sold well and people like it, but like, fuck. Every PlayStation game usually drops in price pretty quick, kind of like Xbox games. So I was expecting it to be like 20 bucks, but fuck, $50. So I don't know. If you guys got a good samurai game or ninja-style game to recommend to me, I'll take it because I'm I'm all ears. Shadow Warrior and Ghost Runner are kind of in the in the lead right now. I want to get back to Shadow, Cy- Cyber Shadow as well, guys. Let's get out of all this bullshit, this meandering. We have news to talk about, so let's let's go over what's happening in the world of Xbox starting now. All right, first batch of news for the year 2022. We actually got a decent news week. I was kind of prepping. I was like, this is probably going to be another slow, shitty news week. But no, we got chunky, sexy stuff to get into. So our first story of the year is coming to us from The Verge, who says, Ubisoft is bringing its Ubisoft Plus subscription service to Xbox in the future and announced that Rainbow Six Extraction will be coming to Xbox Game Pass at launch. Ubisoft Plus originally launched on PC and includes access to more than 100 Ubisoft games, including new titles like Far Cry 6, for only $14.99 a month. Ubisoft isn't announcing exactly when its subscription service will arrive on Xbox, but that'll be coming to the platform in the future. Microsoft added EA's Play subscription service to Game Pass Ultimate for PC and console in 2020, but it's not clear if Ubisoft service will be bundled with Game Pass tiers at any point. Right now, it's obviously not, but maybe later. Uh, Rainbow Six Extraction is also launching on day one with Game Pass for uh, PC and console when it releases on January 20th in just a few weeks here. It's the first major addition to Game Pass for the year, of course. Now, Rainbow Six Extraction is a tactical FPS shooter which allows friends to form a squad of up to three players and play in solo fights or play solo fights in what's described as an unpredictable player versus enemy experience. Extraction launches on Xbox, PC, and even Google Stadia and Luna. So, hey, competition. I got a couple thoughts on this. So... This is kind of two stories into one, right? It's that, whoa, Rainbow Six uh, Extraction is coming to Game Pass, day and date. So what does that remind us of? Okay, that's very much like Outriders or or MLB The Show. Um, but I, I liken a lot more to Outriders. And then Ubisoft Plus is coming to Xbox. So 
Ubisoft Plus coming to Xbox in and of itself, I don't see as like too, whoa, it's totally crazy. You know, obviously a service like that, you probably expect them to want to bring it to other platforms. It's been on PC for a while. EA, God, I always forget the name of it because they changed the name and it's so fucking annoying and everything's called this play or this plus or ultimate whatever uh ea's play subscription service that obviously launched on pc and xbox back in the day and it's on ps it's on playstation now but it took forever because playstation was hesitant to let the service onto their platform but so ubisoft bringing their plus subscription service to console not really all that surprising. It's kind of, it was more of an inevitability from my perspective, but you can't deny that this is actually a decent service just because I don't know how you guys use your subscription services, but there are those you're always going to have. Like for me, like I'll always have Hulu. Like I'll never not have Hulu. I'll never not have Game Pass, right? Those are like the two subscription services. It's like, I can, I, you know, I can get the uh, HBO Max here and there, turn it on, turn it off. Netflix, if I wasn't getting it for free through my phone service provider, I wouldn't even have Netflix. It's just literally trash to me. But like, you know, there's those services. You're always, whatever. I'm always going to have Hulu. I'm always going to have this, whatever. I view Ubisoft Plus as one of those like HBO Max type services where it's like, this is one of those services where you could subscribe, you know, oh, I want to play Far Cry 6. Okay, well, do you want to go buy it for like, what's it on sale for right now? Like $40? $40? Or do you want to just get a, a month of Ubisoft Plus, play Far Cry 6 for 15 bucks, and then see what else the service has, play another game here or there, you know, try a couple things, and then end it for a month, you know, I'm off, I'm good. When next game comes out that I really want to give a try, I'll get in there, but this is a good service because games come to this service, like, I don't know if it's day and date or if it's like pretty shortly after they're released. So that's actually, but that's actually a really good deal considering Far Cry 6 has only been out for like, what, four months? So that that's going to be another added huge value for Xbox gamers. Now, you might be saying, well, $15 a month gets you just Ubisoft, but $15 a month, conversely, would get you Xbox Live Gold plus Game Pass, you know, which is so much more content. Yeah, of course. Of course, Game Pass is an unreasonably great value, but this isn't a bad value. This is actually a pretty solid value, in my opinion, especially if you're using it the way I was just describing, where you kind of take it on a month here, a month there, whatever. But... The bigger thing I want to say here is obviously because of the precedent set with EA Play coming to Game Pass, the next part of this conversation looks like this. So when does this get included in your Game Pass subscription service? This is where I draw the line a little bit because EA Play is a service that adds its new quote unquote new games into the library once they're like a year or more old, you know? I can't play Battlefield 2042 on EA Play right now because it's a new game they want me to buy. I might be able to play it in a couple months. I feel like some games make it a little earlier than others. So, you know, you might get Battlefield 2042 by this summer, maybe early fall, maybe like mid-late summer. That's a possibility, but you're not going to get it right after it comes out, like with Far Cry 6 and, and Ubisoft Plus. So there is a, a big value there. Um, it's just more a matter of like, does Ubisoft make games that appeal to you, right? But I, I think... To get that kind of mega value included in the Game Pass would cost X two things. It would cost Xbox an absurd amount of money that you know I really don't think they can justify when one Game Pass is already as as already as great a value as it is, and two, this service is already unprofitable enough as it is. So why? add that much of a hemorrhage by throwing something like Ubisoft Plus into it. And two, the other thing is, I don't see Ubisoft being interested in including this in the Game Pass, because again, if they're putting like their latest games on it pretty shortly after they launch, 
that's a lot of money they're leaving on the table by just being like, oh yeah, we'll just uh, let basically all of the Xbox platforms just be like, yeah, yeah, the new Far Cry game, I'll just play it on that plus service. I'm not going to go spend $60 on it or $80 on a, a, a special edition version of it or something like that. That's a lot of money being left on the table. So I don't personally see this service being included in Game Pass unless we're talking about years down the road from now when we're inevitably going to get alternate tiers of Game Pass and when Game Pass is inevitably going to go up in price because $15 a month for Game Pass Ultimate is a temporary thing. It's nice now. It is it is a way to get everyone and anyone to subscribe and, and get indoctrinated into the Game Pass ecosystem and then one day for it to be like Netflix where it's just one of those things you never unsubscribe and they raise the prices and they have too big of an install base for anyone to really do anything about it. So maybe when we're at that point in Game Pass's history, we'll get to a point where they could in, maybe convince Ubisoft to include a service like this but at least for the foreseeable future while game pass continues to be you know ten dollars a month or fifteen dollars a month if you want gold included with it i i don't see them being able to get this added feature this added perk in there because that's just i mean i i know game pass always surprises us with like whoa just when you think they couldn't add any more value than this but like this really would be a step too far i really don't see this being a plausible option for a game pass inclusion but yeah maybe, maybe i'm wrong well, who knows the other thing i want to talk about is obviously rainbow six extraction because i think this game is having a very outriders kind of story here where outriders was a game that no one gave a shit about the marketing wasn't doing anything no one was pre-ordering it no one was talking about it there's no hype around it and i think rainbow six extraction is having a similar thing where like rainbow six siege ended up being you know the rainbow six before this ended up being being so popular it came out it kind of did whatever at first First, and then after a lot of post-launch support, that game grew a really big following, a really passionate fan base, and ended up being really profitable and a really big popular game for streaming and for games as a service for, for Ubisoft. That game actually ended up being a pretty big hit for Ubisoft, so... I think they thought Extraction was just kind of a given that it was going to be like, oh yeah, this is the next Rainbow Six. You guys love Siege. Now you love this. But they missed a few things. First of all, they started promoting and announcing Rainbow Six Extraction during a time when Siege was really, really popular. So this was stupid. It almost felt like they kind of cut the cord or pulled the plug on Rainbow Six Siege a little prematurely because now it's, it's starting to seem like Rainbow Six Siege is dwindling and kind of falling into uh, old game territory. But I don't feel like that had to be the case. I feel like they have a little bit of an Overwatch 2 situation on their hands where it's like, you guys had a game that didn't need a sequel. You have a game that you could have continued to add content to and support with updates and new seasons in perpetuity. And I think your audience would have been all for it. But instead, you went with the sequel route for a game that really didn't need the sequel. And now we're splintering the fan base. We're pissing off players of the game that already exists because we're starting to slow down with our support and content rollout for that game to focus development on the new game. And it's just overall a big risk that's not paying off in this case because you can tell no one gives a shit about Rainbow Six Extraction. No one's talking about it. The biggest story surrounding Rainbow Six Extraction was when they changed the name from Quarantine to Extraction because it was, you know, not a great idea to name your game Quarantine during COVID. So that was that's like the biggest news story I can remember with Extraction. Otherwise, I don't think people care because Siege was kind of cool. People liked it was more like sim-like experience. Extraction kind of spits in the face of that. It's like aliens and it's wacky and goofy and cartoony. And that's not to slight the game. Like to me, that sounds more interesting. I like that kind of shit. But 
I feel like you're kind of missing the point of what people liked about Rainbow Six Siege. I feel like you're kind of missing the point of what Rainbow Six even is. I thought this was a Tom Clancy game. What the fuck does a tactical Tom Clancy espionage spy military whatever game have to do with fucking aliens? Like, what the hell are we talking about here? So anyway, long story short, I think Rainbow Six Siege or Extraction rather is a game that is very close to launch. And Ubisoft sees the writing on the walls, they see the pre-order numbers, they see the lack of hype, the lack of online traffic towards articles and videos and news stories about this game, and they're saying, we need to save this. So they're doing what Square Enix did with Outriders last year, and they're saying, okay, Game Pass it is. Because this way, we get a huge chunk of money up front from Microsoft, boom, and two, we get a massive install base guaranteed from the get, which is exactly what Rainbow Six Siege needed to be to be successful it needed to be in the hands of a lot of people for people to realize how good it was and then it built a passionate community around that so maybe that they're hoping that that will work for extraction that they can put in the game pass get a lot of money up front from xbox and then build a massive install base of people who are like you know what people weren't really talking about this game but it's actually pretty damn good and then it builds a big following and they can do a lot of post post launch content and things like that in season two and three and all that jazz that's my guess and i don't think that's too far-fetched of a guess. I don't even think that's like really all that impressive of, of an interpretation. I think a lot of people will probably see this news and have a similar reaction and thought, just kind of seeing the pattern we're seeing play out here with Game Pass and with how Xbox is acquiring some of these games, a lot of it. Because here's the other thing, is this starts, in my opinion, to maybe give Xbox Game Pass a little bit of a reputation that you maybe don't want associated with it. Because yeah, Game Pass is fucking awesome when you're getting Forza Horizon 5 and and, and uh, Halo Infinite included in the service day one because Xbox games just go into Game Pass immediately, no questions asked. That's awesome. But then when you look at the third-party content that's launching day and date on Game Pass, it's always these games that are like otherwise kind of stranded or like doomed or, or destined to fail in some way. And it's never like, you know, it's not like, what's a game that's about to come out that's like inevitably going to be huge, like Elden Ring. You wouldn't see like, oh yeah, Elden Ring is launching into Game Pass day one, fuck yeah. Like you wouldn't see that because From Software knows they're going to make, who's publishing that game? From Software knows they're going to make a shit ton of money off that game, they don't need to worry about it, you know? that It's just not even a conversation. But Ubisoft is looking at Rainbow Six Extraction and what a turn it looks like, and they're going... Yeah, we might want to get this into Game Pass and guarantee some level of success because we're not really confident in it otherwise. So I feel like Game Pass is starting to build itself a little bit of a reputation where it's like, oh yeah, it's awesome if you're looking for first party Xbox content, but then everything else is like, oh, the the dud games end up in here. And I don't for me it's not a problem because I look at games like Outriders and I'm like, I love this. I love that all my first party Xbox content launches day and day. You get a bunch of awesome third party and indie games that are, you know, usually a little older or been around a minute. And those are great games. If you haven't tried those out, here's a great opportunity to play them. But then with games like this, it's like, oh, yeah, Outriders was, you know, it wasn't most anticipated game of the year for me, but it was a game I was interested in checking out. And thanks to Game Pass, I got to just get in for free. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a matter of how you look at it, because it could be viewed as like, oh, the games that look like they're about to be turds end up getting thrown into Game Pass last second. So they have a, a chance at success. But you could also look at it as Game Pass is a great service and and Xbox does a great job of scouting out the games that have massive potential to be really fun to play and really cool games, but maybe lack the sex appeal and the commercial resonance to just like immediately market and stand on its own. Because 
as gamers, we all, we're all familiar with this concept, and this happens in every medium. This happens certainly in movies, but I feel like this especially happens in games and in, in, a, in a, an industry that's so flashy and, it's, and there's just so much shit happening at all times, so many games releasing at any given moment. Uh, we, we know the feeling of like, you know, we're all focused on game A and B because these are the big games of the year. It's all anyone can talk about and think about that games C and D kind of get like swept under the rug and fly under the radar. And only the few people that actually get around to giving those games a try end up going, oh man, people really shouldn't sleep on game C or game D because this game ended up being really fucking good. And so maybe, you know, if you're, if you're Microsoft, you're seeing Game Pass, and maybe if you're a publisher or developer of one of these games, you're seeing Game Pass as a beacon of hope, of a, a way of saying, we know we have a really good game here, but it's just not pulling people in the way Elden Ring's pulling people in right now. People just don't give a shit about our latest game. You know, what What else is coming out first early in the year? Like, that new Horizon game on PS5. Like, people are really pumped about the next Horizon game. That game's going to sell very, very well, no doubt. But, you know, if you're Ubisoft, you might be like, People are definitely not excited about about Extraction, but we know it's a good game. They're excited about this this New Horizon game PlayStation has. But, you know, thank, thankfully we have this opportunity to go with Game Pass and and maybe, you know, put it in people's faces and make it accessible in a way that people realize like, whoa, 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 don't sleep on this game. So there's a multitude of ways you can look at it, but I'm just, I'm starting to notice this, that Game Pass is becoming a thing. It's like publishers worried they have a dud on their hands. Publishers worried that, they, they won't get a good install base because the barrier to entry is buy this game for $60. Let's make a deal with Xbox. Let's get this in Game Pass. And maybe for Game Pass, that's actually just all good news because you're like, we don't care. We're just getting more and more content. You know, the more games we have on Game Pass, the more value for our customers. It's simple as that, right? More content equals more value, right? So I, I, I don't know. It depends how you want to look at this. But from my perspective, everything to do with a Rainbow Six Extraction going into Game Pass just screams a lack of confidence in this game. But also, the fact that we're getting both of these announcements together, you know, you can't deny the fact that there's something happening here or there's something to look into at least. Even if it's not happening, it's it, it would be silly not to at least read the tea leaves here. That if Ubisoft is saying in one announcement, oh yeah, our new Rainbow Six game is launching the Game Pass day and date and in the same announcement going, oh yeah, and our service that lets you, you know, play our games pretty early, pretty soon after they come out is being brought over to Xbox. Like, okay, well, maybe there's something happening here. So maybe this is an opportunity for, you know, them to be like, let's see how Rainbow Six Extraction does with Game Pass. Look at the kind of money we make from that, the kind of player base that brings our way and and how that looks on our books and see if maybe that is that, maybe see if that's a, a, a way of, looking into what potentially giving Ubisoft plus to game pass subscribers would look like, you know, like maybe if rainbow six extraction ends up just being this massive hit, it's just, Oh my God, it makes so much money. So many players. It's just this big game. No one saw it coming. Maybe you, you do want to work out a deal with Xbox and find a way to, you know, maybe there's a new tier of Xbox game pass for $20 a month. Instead of $15 a month, you get everything you get with game pass ultimate. Plus you get Ubisoft Plus, so I mean, yeah, maybe you can call it the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate Edition Plus, and uh, we'll all shoot ourselves because every fucking product and service has the same name these days. But that that is also another possibility. So a lot to look into here, a lot to be excited about. This is this is the like I've said before, this is the cool thing about Xbox is aside from just being excited about like oh what games are coming for us to play, it's also just such a wild west kind of platform because. 
with Game Pass being so new and all this stuff with PC and, sh- and streaming and everything, everything we talk about on Xbox these days just seems to be like, God, what are they doing with the platform? What are they turning this thing into? And it's exciting stuff, man. It's hard, it's hard to read it, you know, but uh, it's fun for sure. Our next story here comes from VGC, and here we go. A little, a little sad one. I actually don't have too much to add to this one, but people seem to really be into it, but I'm sure, I'm sure many of you will be. Speculation has increased around the potential official re-release of Rare's GoldenEye 007 after achievements were reportedly uncovered on Xbox Live servers. TrueAchievements.com, a site that syncs and tracks achievement activity, recently posted a full list of GoldenEye Xbox achievements said to come live said to come from live console servers including artwork for each unlockable challenge the list includes a thousand gamer score and not the 200 gamer score that would have been planned if the version once initially planned for xbox 360's live arcade were to come to fruition so important to note according to the site two users have unlocked goldeneye xbox achievements so far Big Sheep and Zing McGrath, whatever. The gamer tags appear to be belong to Rare's lead engineers James Thomas and community head Christina McGarth. Last year, it was confirmed that Microsoft had to shelve an already completed remastered of the classic N64 game for the 360, following licensing issues with miscommunications between license holders and young team who rushed ahead to create it despite a deal never having been signed. A working build of GoldenEye 007's canceled Xbox 360 remastered was linked onto file server sharing sites in early 2021, allowing those with access to the files to play with the modded console or PC emulator. It's kind of bittersweet, co-director Chris uh, Tilston says, seeing GoldenEye remaster leak into the public domain. It appears people are going to get to see the work that was done and also mask some of the cock-ups that went up behind the scenes. I've never heard that word. Cockups. Co-director Mark Edmonds added, The thing I find strangest is why now? Why leak it after all this time? Someone must have had this for all those years. It just seems strange to me. When I first heard about it, it almost made me think Microsoft was leaking on purpose. I don't know if that would have made sense, but it does make you wonder. So this is a thing, right? So there's probably some desire to bring this game back. I, I get it. If you could remaster a little bit, obviously massively overhaul the controls and the camera for this game, which would be a huge undertaking in and of itself because this game controls like absolute ass. I get it. You can make a fun, nostalgic little Game Pass edition here. I can't imagine they're talking about a proper from the ground up reimagining of GoldenEye 007. I, I know that's for a fact not what they're talking about. The thing here is, I think this is all licensing. I know that's what, you know, the article itself alludes to. And I, I think that's it. You know, like this, I'm not a James Bond guy. I, do, I don't. I, I GoldenEye 007 was a game I played a little bit as a kid. It was a little tiny bit before my time in a way because uh, it was just kind of an older kid game in a time where like all I wanted to play on N64 was like Yoshi Story. So it, it's hard for me to like look at this and be like, okay, let's let's really d- dig in. But all I can say is this. If you're Xbox and you own Rare and you're sitting on the team behind this legendary first-person shooter, GoldenEye, and you are the console brand that is known for being the premier place to play first-person shooters. You guys have Halo, which is the game credited with making first-person shooters a thing on console. Uh, and you're also currently riding a wave of like, hey, Xbox is back. People think it's cool again. People are nostalgic. We're celebrating 20 years of Xbox. We're celebrating 20 years of Halo. We're celebrating everything this console is all about. You might want to look at your studios, at their portfolios and say, let's dig into the archives and bring something back that is, you know, obviously GoldenEye's 
synonymous with N64, not Xbox. But you look at it and you say, what is something that we technically in some way have rights to or some some holdover that people would just be crazy if we could bring it back? And I think being like, hey, we own Rare and they made GoldenEye. There's just this lineage, even if it is arbitrary and kind of like, yeah, but Rare, the Rare that exists today isn't the Rare that made GoldenEye. And yeah, I mean, that was an N64 game. And yeah, that was a licensed game. So it's not like it was, you know, it's not really an Xbox thing. Despite all those like exceptions and if ands and buts, I think there's still this kind of like, well, Goldeneye was made by Rare and Xbox owns Rare and they're the shooter guys. It's like, you want to bring back Goldeneye? And I think it's it's widely understood that it's like if we could bring this game back in a cool and fun way and modernize it in a way that makes it not just a gimmick, but an actually fun and interesting game to play in a trip down memory lane to make it look and play the way you remember it looking and playing even though it looked and played like shit then maybe we could create something here that would really strike a nostalgic chord with our audience and I think that's smart I think that's obviously a great idea especially even if you just kind of did the way they did that Quake remaster recently where it's like hey we're throwing this in the game pass it's nothing too big and over the top but it is a control reworked port of GoldenEye 007 I think that's a huge get but you immediately run into all those licensing issues of like, okay, you got to get this from these these guys. MGM needs to sign off on this. You need to use the likeness of this actor and that actor. And it just becomes this complete clusterfuck and mess of like, how would you ever get this to work out? Which is why they even say that 360 port of the N64 version was shelved all that time ago because licensing issues. And hey, do you guys remember around, I think it was 2007 or eight. They did a GoldenEye 007 remake. It actually was not even really a remake at all. It was exclusive for Nintendo Switch, and it was made by, I think it was published by Activision. I can't remember who developed it, but it sure as hell wasn't rare. And it was based on the current James Bond. It wasn't even based on old James Bond. And the levels in the campaign had nothing to do with the original GoldenEye, and the multiplayer was really nothing like the original GoldenEye. It was basically just a new James Bond game that was heavily influenced by Call of Duty, and was called GoldenEye, and I, I never played it. I know some people think it was pretty good. Some people are pretty mixed on it, um, but eventually they did bring it to Xbox 360, and I think PlayStation 3 as well, but that game was not GoldenEye, but you look at it, and you say, well, how the fuck did this game come to be, and a lot of that was probably, it came down to licensing, to be honest, so you gotta think, there's, if you really want to make a game like this, you probably have to make it from the ground up, and it's gotta be one of those really obnoxious things where you get some of the licensing you need, but not all of it. So you got to make changes here and there. And I think it's just more of an investment and more of an undertaking than Microsoft is really willing to make for what they'd get out of this, which is probably just like, oh, like a fun little side project or a little addition to Game Pass or something like that. So I don't know. And I, and I don't know who would be the ones making this because it says the achievements are being unlocked by people who work at rare so it's like i don't know does rare have like a third team you know they got the main they got the team working on sea of thieves support they got the team working on everwild and then what they got another third team smaller team working on like a a ground up remake of goldeneye 007 i don't know man like is that i'm not against that that's a cool idea but again it's just this is a lot of like how how do you make this happen right you know because this is not as much as gamers probably want for this to be like a thing like oh yeah they're gonna bring back goldeneye it's gonna be awesome everyone's gonna love it this is not gonna be a huge this is more of like a a marketing gimmick right oh yeah we're bringing back goldeneye i don't see this as like the next big game from Rare, like the next big Xbox title. So you got to find a way to get this licensing, but also do it affordably and also make it make sense and also make it authentically GoldenEye so it's good for the players and it hits that nostalgic chord because you can't just make something new and call it GoldenEye, but you can't just pay all this money for licensing and have something small to show for it. So there's all this like, I don't know, 
So I guess what it really boils down to is you got to get the licensing. You got to do it right. But can it be a pretty worthy investment to do that? Or is it just kind of a like a, another like like oh Xbox is such such good guy Xbox. They love their, their fans so much. That's such good fan service. Or is this like a really smart investment from a, a money-making standpoint? I don't know. But, you know, if, if they are popping achievements and trueachievements.com is seeing this behind the scenes, then everything I'm saying is kind of pointless because they already have something to show for. They've already built something here and maybe something's on the way. Because as they know, the thing that's popping achievements is actually a, a game that has a thousand gamer score. As you'll remember, Xbox Live Arcade games back in the 360 days they had 200 gamer score. It used to be a hard, fast rule that if you were a proper release game, you had a thousand gamer score, and if you were an indie Xbox Live Arcade game, you had 200 gamer score. Obviously, that rule is wild, wild west. Now you can do whatever the fuck you want, but back in the day, it was a hard, fast rule. So if this new version has a thousand gamer score, then it's clearly a different version, unless they got this old Xbox 360 port and just add a bunch of achievements to it, which is a weird thing to do. So. I don't really know what to make of this. It seems like something's being worked on behind the scenes. I just don't know to what extent. I mean, usually achievements are something you add in pretty late in development, pretty much towards the end. It's one of the final things you do to a game. So either there is a GoldenEye 007 remake that is pretty much ready to launch, or there's just a lot of like mixed messaging behind the scenes about this project that has been worked on or revisited over time, but it isn't actually coming to fruition. And I don't know. Well, if this is a thing, you would expect we got we got to find out sooner or later. Because if, if they already have achievements loaded and popping and ready to go, and this is a real thing, we would know about this in the next few months at, at the very most. So if you think this is legit, we got like two or three months at most before it comes out. Otherwise, I don't I don't think it's real. And that's not to say true achievements is spreading false information because I, I like true achievements. They're, they're good. I'm not calling them out for anything. I just, there's a lot of ways this could have been misread or miscommunicated. All right, next up, Twinfinite reports that Halo Infinite's, I don't know why a lot of people weren't reporting this. This is kind of big news, but Halo Infinite's lead narrative designer, we got two of these stories back to back. Halo Infinite's lead narrative designer, Aaron Lind, revealed that he would be leaving leaving 343 Industries for a position at Riot, at Riot Games. Alongside the announcement of his departure, Lind also posted the following statement regarding his choice to move on to Riot. Quote, Bittersweet news to report, I'm leaving 343 Industries to pursue a new opportunity in 2022. It was terrifically difficult decision. Halo Infinite will remain one of the proudest achievements of my career and for the rest of my life. I'm so grateful to have been a part of it. I want to thank my dear colleagues at 343 for making the best game I've ever worked on, our incredible voice cast for elevating the work into a, every single line delivery, and to our players for joining us on a wild-ass journey. You made 2021 an incredible special year for me. End quote. Lynn started working at 343 back in 2019. Before that, he also spent time as a content writer for Gears of War, lead writer on Battleborn, narrative designer on Guild Wars 2, Living World. He will be joining Riot Games' research and development division. So this is a pretty big role to lose but as you'll recall this is this is someone who joined the project pretty late in development so we know 343 in particular already has this track record of notable people notable roles within the team just kind of coming and going and people get this on the resume and they leave i looked up aaron lynn's history his resume his linkedin actually to see like kind of where he's been and what his history is, to see if he's someone who bounces around a lot or if this is kind of an unprompted leave. Let me say this. In the past decade, he's had about about 10 different jobs in the games industry. In fact, let me go back. He After he graduated in 07, he did 
some freelance web design, got involved in the games media industry, working for Destructoid and Shack News. He worked a little bit, or then he got his first like in the industry job at uh, Microsoft, working on Gears of War as a contract content writer. And then from there, he just bounces all over the place. He worked on Gears 2, he worked on Gears 3. Then he went on to Monolith. He went on to Gearbox for a little bit. He went on to ArenaNet. That's where he worked on Gears Guild Wars. He worked at Bungie for a little bit. And all of these were like between six months to two years that he stayed at all these companies. So he has a track record of moving on, moving on, next project, next project. And he stayed at, in fact, his time at 343 working on Halo Infinite was actually the longest time he spent at any of these teams, really. He spent two and a half years at 343. The only team he stayed at that long or close that long was uh at arena net and gearbox everything else he's he it was kind of a short stint really in terms of his tenure so i only say that to say this guy clearly has a track record of being like okay i'm i'm into this project this is my thing right now okay that was fun now it's time to learn something new work on something else and i can respect that i appreciate that i can understand why to do that personally if you have a job at 343 industries i don't understand why you'd want to work anywhere other than with the halo guys but from a creative standpoint, I can understand why you want to sow your oats and get a multitude of experiences. And that's cool. That's going to be cool when you look back at the end of your life and be like, wow, I got to contribute to all these different things I love. Right. But the reason I bring all this up isn't to reminisce on what a fulfilling life this man leads, but more so because this is anytime something big like this happens at 343, it sparks a whole like, what's going on? Everything's broken at 343. Well, we know 343 is a little messy and, def- and, and fucked in terms of how it's operated and, and ran. But this isn't something to really concern yourself with, especially for like future content and everything, because judging by his track record, it seems like this is kind of what he does. He's like, hey, work on this for a while, move on to the next project, work on this for a while, move on to the next project. So this is probably him being like, hey, we launched Halo Infinite, the project's complete, we did our work, I'm on to the next thing. I'm a little confused about what exactly he did on Halo Infinite because he came into the project so late but he worked with uh, writers on planning, developing the open world narrative content in Halo Infinite, including like dialogue and side missions and enemy chatter and marine chatter and radio audio logs and things like that. So he, he worked on some pretty cool stuff, some pretty like uh, regularly experienced content of the game. So that that's pretty cool shit, but this isn't like, Oh man, the director of the team is lost, or they lost they lost Jason, uh, Joseph Staten, and all that. It's like no, no, no. Bonnie Ross isn't stepping down. It's not you know. It's not like doom and gloom. But you know, this is a a notable contributor to the game over the its final few years of development. And uh, we of course wish Aaron all the best as he moves on to Riot Games, a nasty little team of weebs and nerds that work on League of Legends. But uh, now all joking aside. Uh, I, I just kind of want to point this out because I feel like, one, not a lot of sites were even covering the story for whatever reason, and two, I'm like, oh no, before before this turns into a, like, a, something's wrong at 343 again, let me just be the one to say, people moving on. So yeah, the next one is a little bit more of a, of like a, oh really, kind of kind of story, where we've got the second departure, Windows Central reports that Microsoft and Playground Games revealed this week, Gavin Rayburn who served as the studio director and co-founder for the past 12 years, is leaving Playground Games. General manager and partner co-founder Trevor Williams will step up as studio head in Rayburn's place. Microsoft's CVP of Forza Fable, Alan Hartman, shared the mess- a message with um, 
with audiences saying that after 12 years of working on five award-winning Forza Horizon games, Gavin Rayburn is leaving Playground Games as studio director. A founding member of Playground Games, we thank Gav for his leadership and contributions to the Forza franchise, and we wish him all the best. Co-founder Trevor Williams will be transitioning from general manager and studio head effective immediately as Playground Games team focuses on updates to Forza Horizon 5 and the development of Fable. End quote. Gavin Rayburn is something of an industry legend, having worked on a cult, on cult classics like The Equalizer for Commodore 64, all the way up to Codemasters, uh, Toka Championship, Dirt, and Grid. Rayburn left Codemasters to co-found Playground Games in 2009 and built what has since become one of Microsoft's most important studios. Playground Games continues to work on Forza Horizon 5, likely building DLC expansions that we haven't seen, like, we, like we've seen in previous entries. Playground's also working on a reboot of the classic RPG franchise Fable, soaking up developer talent from the likes of Rockstar, CD Projekt Red, to make it happen. There's no information at this time on where Gavin will be headed next. Now, the only thing weird about this is we didn't get a goodbye from Gavin. We didn't get a quote from him. We don't know where he's going. And he is such a critical part of this studio. Unlike what we just talked about with 343, this, and, and no offense to Aaron at 343, you know, he, he, he did important work on that game. But this is like, you know, this is like one of the members of the Beatles leaving the Beatles. This is, this is, this is a huge shock to Playground because this is one of their founding members. And we don't get any information on him. Now, the, looking at the quote from Alan Hartman, it doesn't seem like there, you know, there's nothing like ill will in here. There's nothing I can read into that I'm like, oh man, maybe he left on bad terms or something because it seems like, you know, they're giving him a lot of credit for all of his contributions and thanking him for his leadership and contribution and all that. And so they're they're recognizing and, and celebrating him properly, it seems like. But I do find it quite curious that he's just like leaves after 12 years, has all this all this contribution that he has under his belt. No idea where he's going next. He has no word to say. And the team's just like, yeah, thank you for this, that, and the other. Uh, we are going to immediately continue to focus on this, this, and this. And Trevor Williams will be stepping up to studio head and taking over um, Gavin's roles effective immediately. So it is a little bit just like, oh, okay. But I mean, you never know. It could be anything from found a new position that interests him, wants to spend more time with his family. Maybe, you know, God forbid something something happened and he has to step away from his position for a while. There's any multitude, multitude of reasons for why something like this could have happened. Or maybe he's just like, hey, I'm ready for something new. This guy has a lot of experience predominantly with racing games. So when you're when you're the co-founder of what I consider to be the premier racing studio in the world right now, which is Playground Games, I don't know where you could possibly want to go if you want to continue your almost exclusive career in racing game development. So that that's the thing. It's like, does he want to go start a new studio? Does he want to go work for another team? What other team could you possibly want to work for? Because he seems to exclusively work in racing games. And what are you going to go do? Get a job with fucking um, the Gran Turismo guys over on PlayStation? I, I don't fucking think so. You know, those guys fell behind the the, the two Forza teams, Turn 10 and Playground. So I, I don't really know what to make of this, to be honest. This is one absolutely worth keeping an eye out on because this is going to have, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying Forza is going to feel better or worse without him there and Fable's going to be forever a different game without him there. But it is a thing where, man, like it, at least to the people who work at Playground, like this is going to be a notable thing, a palpable thing that he's gone. Like that's a, you lose someone that indelible to your company, like that, that changes the culture. 
And I almost wonder if maybe, you know, the, the, the role he had as studio director, I, I almost wonder if he was like, you know, this is getting too big for me. I want to, I, I want to work on racing games, my, 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 my passion, but here I am directing the studio, which also includes fable development. And I'm really just more interested in making great car games and fable is not really the thing I want to continue to work on. And now that we've shipped Forza Horizon 5, I think I'm ready to, uh, move on and maybe scale down to something smaller and something a little more back to my roots. It's always possible. You see that happen a lot with these kinds of game guys where they, they leave these kinds of positions and they go found a smaller team or try to do something a little more nimble, get in touch with the roots a little bit more. So I wouldn't be all that surprised if we see him in a few months forming a new team with other talent from playground and other racing studios and Codemasters and whatnot. And they're working on some new kind of indie racing game. It's entirely possible, but Either way, we, we wish Gavin all the best. And moving away from all the people leaving their jobs right now, we move into our next story, which comes from VGC. This one I won't get too into because it's not directly Xbox-related, but it is uh, it is in the, in the sphere of game streaming. Samsung's 22 range, sorry, 2022 range of Neo QLED televisions will come with gaming hub support for cloud streaming and NFTs. Fuck NFTs that they, they announced at CES this past week. Launching later this year to select models, the new dedicated smart hub will include a selection of gaming content in one place, including YouTube gaming content. It will also feature cloud gaming libraries from Google Stadia, which we already thought was dead, GeForce Now, Udemic, which I haven't heard of, and more to come. That means players will be able to support their contr- will be able to pair supported controllers with their TVs and play modern games without even needing additional console hardware. Xbox boss Phil Spencer has previously expressed a desire to bring cloud gaming to TVs in the future. In October 2020, in an interview with Stratchery via The Verge, Stratchery? Whatever. Microsoft's head of gaming discussed lowering barriers of entry into gaming, saying, quote, I think you're going to see a lower price hardware as part of our ecosystem when you think about streaming sticks and other things that somebody might want to just plug into a TV and play via xCloud, he said. You could imagine even using something that we just include into the Game Pass subscription and give you the ability to stream xCloud games to your television without and just buying a controller. So this is only interesting to say because obviously we know this is inevitably going to be a future for game for xCloud. We know they're going to have Xbox streaming sticks, with they, which they've confirmed. We know they're probably just going to at some point have... TVs that do what these TVs are supposed to do and have, you know, xCloud pre-installed on them so you can just use Xbox like an app like you would Hulu or Netflix or any of those. And so that's why this is important to see that someone's already doing that and it actually doesn't involve Xbox. It involves Google Stadia, which we all thought was dead, and GeForce Now, which is much less, you know, commonly used than Game Pass and xCloud and all that. So this is kind of surprising. Not only that, but the company making these TVs and supporting the service is none other than Samsung, which if you think outside of the gaming realm of Microsoft and look at the company in a broader sense, Microsoft has a fantastic relationship with Samsung. They have a really good relationship with Samsung, especially when it comes to mobile divisions. In fact, the Your Phone service and app for Windows, which is a very big push for Microsoft right now, especially with Windows 11, uh, was entirely introduced and launched with Samsung devices at first before it was even compatible with the Microsoft Surface Duo, which is Microsoft's own phone. We've seen xCloud and Game Pass pre-installed on Samsung devices going forward. We've seen deals where buy this certain Samsung device, get three months of Game Pass. And we've seen all these kinds of partnerships with Google and Samsung. We've seen it right now, 
Google and Samsung are rumored to be working on a v, uh, on an augmented reality hardware for consumers that will be mostly software driven by Microsoft and hardware driven by Samsung, which is rumored to be brought to market in the next two or three years. So Microsoft and Samsung have a very good relationship and they work very well together. Samsung supplies Microsoft with tons and tons of components for their hardware. And it's just weird to think that these two companies that already get along so well aren't communicating when it comes to getting Game Pass, getting xCloud, getting game streaming into the TV market when one, we know Xbox wants to do that. Two, we know Samsung is like the biggest name in in the TV brand industry or in the TV, like actual TV industry. And it just, uh, it, it, it completely behooves Microsoft to just let Google get this first win when Google's streaming service is pretty much already dead. So... I don't think that bodes well for Xbox. It doesn't look well. It doesn't look great. And Samsung even said, you know, room for more services and platforms similar to these platforms to come to their TVs in the future. So yeah, it's not like they're they're saying it won't happen. I'm sure at some point Samsung TVs will support uh, Project X Cloud. But the fact that today, you know, we know that this is coming soon, and Xbox is not among the services included. I feel like. That's just kind of missing the point in some way and kind of just, I don't know. You want to grow this service. You want to grow this platform. You need to be aggressive. You can't let other players get there first. Not only because obviously you don't want them to gain that ground and territory first and and win, but also because you don't want an inferior product to be in the market's hands first and train the market to believe that this stuff is gimmicky or not ready. The technology is not there. It's not ready for market. So You really want to be the first one there and you want to come out swinging so people know Xbox does this game streaming stuff. They they were there first. They did it on all the big TVs and they did it better than anyone else. But right now, they're ceding this ground to Google who like famously give up on everything. Google gives up more on products and services than Xbox or than Microsoft does. And that's that's impressive, dude. So I don't know. I don't I don't love where we're going with that, but. Obviously, we will see Xbox come to streaming sticks and TV apps and shit in the future, for sure. And then our next story here, and and this is something that was actually in the news last week, but I wasn't going to do a new segment for one story, so we'll talk about it this week. I won't get too into it because we've talked about this fucking Tencent shit ad nauseum, but here we go again. Remedy Entertainment, the company, this is from IGN, Remedy Entertainment, the company behind Control Control and Alan Wake, has signed a global development license and distribution agreement with Tencent for new cooperative multiplayer game that is currently codenamed Vanguard, not COD Vanguard, different Vanguard. The game was already announced in some form by Remedy last year, but now we know more about it in that it is supposed to be a free-to-play cooperative PvE shooter that combines Remedy's narrative ex- expertise with action gameplay into an immersive multiplayer experience, a games-as-a-service, if you will. The game will be developed in Unreal Engine for PC and console, while Remedy will develop and publish the game for most of the world. Tencent will localize Vanguard for selected Asian markets and will cover any localization costs. As it stands, Vanguard is currently in its proof-of-concept phase, and the game's development budget up to the first year of live operations will be the range of a typical Remedy AAA budget. So that means a pretty low budget for a game like this because they usually work quite effectively with a minimum budget. Remedy and Tencent will co-finance the game uh, the game's development and each company will be responsible for publishing the game and operating cons- costs in their own territory. So it's important to note in Europe, probably in the US and in North America, this will be this will be market or this will be published by Remedy themselves, but in the Asian market, 
Tencent will handle it, which is kind of interesting for a couple reasons we can get into in a minute. Alongside the PC and console versions of Vanguard, Remedy is giving Tencent worldwide rights to both develop and publish a mobile version of the game. So if they make a mobile version of the game, which they inevitably will because that's what Tencent does, that will be globally published by them. Tencent will cover the cost of that project, and the companies have agreed to separate sharing scheme for mobile version. There's a lot of like inside baseball stuff we're learning way before we even see this game, which is quite interesting. The announcement follows... Um, the news from last May where Tencent acquired 3.8% of Remedy, which amounted to 500,000 shares. Vanguard marks Remedy's first entry in games as a service business model, said CEO of Remedy Entertainment, Taro Vertala. We are building something new and exciting, cooperative multiplayer space on top of our strengths. Expanding to the capabilities of taking on publishing responsibilities in the West is our next step in the development of our company. We are excited for this long-term partnership with Tencent and confident that they can stay. That say that this is an excellent fit in supporting Vanguard's ambitious plans. Vanguard is a global is a global opportunity, and Tencent can support Remedy internationally and lead to operations in Asia and the global market. So this is Remedy, obviously trying to reach a bigger market. I think we see them trying to get into the Asian market quite a bit because Remedy's games are very Western. Remedy, a very European team. Finland, very popular in Europe. Their game's very popular here in North America. Probably not so popular in Asia. Trying to break into that Asian market, I think with the multiplayer games as a service type game, that's the right kind of approach for that market where that kind of stuff's more popular. And then we've already seen them kind of dip their toes in working with Asian companies, trying to work on more Asian pro projects because we know they're currently developing the campaign for Crossfire X, which is a multiplayer game by Smilegate, a Korean developer. So we know they got their hands in that pot as well as, although that was probably more of a commission project than them wanting to get involved with that, um, but possibly an opportunity for them to get a little more reach in that market. Um, and then why Tencent? Of all the big gaming conglomerates out there, why Tencent? Well, easy enough. Tencent is the big uh, gaming conglomerate that's buying up everything in sight uh, that is out of Asia, whereas the other big one, which is Embracer Group, is out of Sweden. So that's already very much kind of in Remedy's wheelhouse, in their territory, in their market. So from just purely a strategic point of trying to expand this game into new territories, obviously there's a reason for why they're doing it and, and, and get it smart from a, from a business standpoint. Uh, I just think there are ethically better companies to be doing this with and partnering with like i don't know literally anyone other than tencent but yeah we we definitely see them trying to get more and more in bed and and, and i get it you know remedy makes these games that are relatively budget in terms of in terms of cost but really triple a and high quality in terms of the, the quality of the product we get and it's really cool that they're trying to be like an insomniac before they were acquired by Sony. They're trying to be like Bungie, where they are pretty independent, not beholden to a publisher or an owner per se, that they can kind of do their own projects and things like that. And they, they're they clearly looking at this as an opportunity to try and uh, get into this Asian market and, and get this experience and learning under their belt so that can maybe be more apt and competitive as a developer slash publisher independently going forward. So I, I get all that, but I'm sorry, Remedy, as much as I love you, I can't forgive you for working with Tencent for reasons we will not talk about in 2022 because we talked about ad nauseum in 2021. So there's that, but let's not end on a sour note because our wrap-up story is all the new games coming to Game Pass this month. So from the Xbox Wire, we got a bunch of good shit in January. Aside from Rainbow Six Extraction, which we talked about earlier in the news, coming or available as of right now, Game Pass subscribers can get Gorogoa, Goa, whatever. It's an idea at Xbox games available on cloud console and PG, PC. Olija, 
on cloud console and PC. God, guys, work on this. The Pedestrian, Cloud Console and PC, all three of those games available now. I thought I said Ouija, but that's not you, is it? No, that's an L. Oliha? Uh, anyway, also coming soon to Game Pass, and here's where we get to the really spicy stuff. On January 6th, when, which is the day this podcast is going up, you get Ember on Cloud Console and PC. You get... Outer Wilds back on Cloud Console PC. I'm pretty sure that was on Game Pass at one point. But the biggest one here is you get the Mass Effect Legendary Edition through EA Play on January 6th. So Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 remastered, all available through Game Pass because EA Play is included. That's a huge get. That's a very big get. I knew this was an inevitable one. That's why I didn't buy it. But yeah, that's a pretty damn deal. A pretty good, damn good deal, especially in a time where... You know, it's early in the year. The game gaming stuff is a little bit on the download, a little bit quiet right now. Not too many games coming out. It's a great time to jump into these games if you got the time to play them. Um, so that's a huge get. Really, really good deal there. And then on January 13th, you get Spelunky 2 on console and PC. And the game I'm actually most excited about that's coming to Game Pass this month. Yeah, even more than Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is the Anacrusis, uh, which you may remember this from last year. This was announced. This is a Left 4 Dead style game that actually has a lot of old Valve and Turtle Rock talent behind this. The writer of Left 4 Dead actually worked on this game. And it's basically Left 4 Dead, but with like a 1970s contemporary kind of like art, art style, but in outer space with aliens. So it's like, you know, it's like fucking Ridley Scott alien bullshit with... 70s aesthetic and the gameplay is left for dead and i don't know this game looks pretty cool it looks a little budgety it looks a little indeed it, it, it doesn't have the polish and the shine and the next gen appeal of back for blood but back for blood was such a massive disappointment to me personally that this game actually looks really really appealing right now because i'm hoping to get that left for dead kick and uh and and, and fix with this game, because even though it does look a little more budget, a little more cheap, a little more indie, um, it does look like it plays a little more straightforward and a little bit more like what classic Left 4 Dead was. So I am pretty interested in giving that game a try. Now, it's not all good news. Game Pass is losing a handful of games. So on January 15th, the following will be coming off the service. We've got Desperados 3 on Cloud Console and PC. Ghost of a Tale, PC. Kingdom Hearts 3, Console. I consider that a win. Mountain Blade. Warband, cloud console and PC. Pandemic, console and PC. Yeek, a postmodern RPG on PC. And lastly, PUBG Battlegrounds will be leaving Game Pass on January 10th, but there's a reason for it. It's because the game is actually transitioning from paid to free to play on January 12th, so it'll be free everywhere. It's not something that would even need to be included in Game Pass. Can you believe it took this many years for that game to become a, a Game Pass style? It's fucking crazy. But Guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Let's real quick jump into the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant our own discussions, of which we actually only have one this week, and it is that VGC reports Xbox has launched a beauty collaboration with the popular nail polish brand OPI. The partnership includes a release of nail polish collections with buyers set to be rewarded with in-game content in Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite. The OPI cross Xbox collection includes 12 hues of inspired by Game Pass titles and gaming phrases. It's available to purchase now in U.S. at at Ulta stores and will launch globally on February 1st where OPI products are sold. Cannot believe I just read all that. Cannot believe that's a thing that's happening, but hey... Yeah, we got gold chains and shoes and hoodies and all this shit that they were launching for Xbox. And I'm not going to lie, some of it's pretty cool. So why not throw nail polish into the mix? If it's something you're interested in, 
it's worth taking a look at. But guys, that is, uh, you know, I, I I would do the games coming to Xbox Wire and all that, but that, that list is still not being published, so I don't know what to do there. But we can wrap up with Games with Gold. We got our January games here listed. I won't lie, guys. January is a fucking shit month for Games of Gold. It is uh, all the more reason why Xbox really should just get rid of Games with Gold because Game Pass is awesome. We don't need this. It's a waste of resources. Focus more on Game Pass. No one needs this shit. But nonetheless, if you're one of those guys that needs it, Nero Voider is available for the whole month of January. Never heard of it. Me neither. Aground uh, is available from the 16th to February 15th on Game Pass or Games of Gold, rather. And those are our current Xbox games. We've got two 360 games as well. Uh, Radiant Silver Gun is available for the first half of the month until January 15th. And then from the 16th until the 31st, you got Space Invaders Infinity Gene, which I've never played, but maybe I'll have to give that one a try. Sounds the most interesting of the four games. But yeah, very, 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 very underwhelming games of gold offering. No surprise there. But guys, that is actually going to do it for our very first episode of Xbox On for the for the week of January 6, 2022. Can you believe it? It's bigger and better than ever. This crazy shit is happening here on Xbox On. I mean, I can't believe there was a fucking a, a giraffe in the background of the episode the entire time. If you watch the video version, you know what I'm talking about. I can't believe they're going to have John Travolta on next week and that he's going to tell us all about why Xbox saved him from going down a dark path, including an alcohol addiction. All this shit this year, Phil Spencer's favorite year of Xbox on as he's already declared it before this episode even goes live. I mean, we got so much ahead of us these next 52 weeks, boys and girls, and I just cannot wait to share it all with you. But I will say in the meantime, that's going to do it for this week. So please Follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa for updates on the podcast, the stream, the YouTube videos. Please check out my new video. I worked really, really hard on it. It was a lot of fucking work, and YouTube is a, is, is a bitch because you put a video you work 30 hours on out into the ether, and then you get two views because algorithm. Uh, but, you know, uh, YouTube.com slash Lightning Extreme is where you can find the video. Link in the description below on the podcast services as well as YouTube. And then, of course, subscribe to, the, uh, to Xbox On, Spotify, Apple, leave reviews, five stars. Leave comments on YouTube. Let's talk about our barbecue sauce opinions. I want to hear all about it, you guys. But that's it for this week. And until next time, power your dreams.